Daniel chapter 12. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people will arise. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of the nations until now. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there before me stood two others, one on this bank of the river and one on the opposite bank. One of them said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, How long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? The man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, lifted his right hand and his left hand towards heaven. And I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying, It will be for a time, times, and half a time. When the power of the holy people has been finally broken, all these things will be completed. I heard, but I did not understand. So I asked, My Lord, what will be the outcome all this be? He replied, Go away, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of 1,335 days. As for you, go your way till the end. You will rest, and then at the end of the days, you will receive. You will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. One of the positive news stories of 2020 was the successful landing of the Mars rover called Perseverance. I'm told that it took seven years to design and six months to travel to Mars to get it there, and now it's there exploring the surface of the planet on our behalf. And everything about the Mars rover entitled Perseverance is designed for Perseverance. It is able to navigate itself through some of the Martian terrain without any instructions from Earth. It can do that with AI. It's able to keep going because it has a nuclear battery that will last for about 14 years. And it has many backup systems in case the primary systems fail. Perseverance is engineered to last, to keep going. Now, when we think about the Christian calling of perseverance, for most of us, we probably don't feel naturally suited to keeping going. We don't feel uh, like we're suited for perseverance. There are a few people who are naturally tenacious, but that's quite rare. And even they uh, will have a limit to their ability to keeping going. Because we are broken people, broken by sin. We live in a world that has been broken by the curse of sin. And keeping going as broken people in a broken world is hard. But the Bible teaches us that 
Christian perseverance is not just a case of natural ability. It's not just some people are given to it and some of them aren't. It is God's work in us as his people. And God helps us and equips us and strengthens us by his word and by his spirit to keep going. He gives us true truth that will encourage us and strengthen us. And this evening we come to the final chapter in the book of Daniel, chapter 12. And it's all about how to keep going when it's hard. This chapter is particularly focused on how we keep going at the end of the age. But the lessons here are applicable to us whenever we face trials and struggles, whenever we experience what it is to live as fallen, sinful people in a fallen, sinful world. So we're going to look together and see what God teaches us here in this last chapter about how we can be encouraged to persevere. And the first thing we're going to see is this, that whatever trials you might face, in order to persevere, we need to know that our future is secure and it's wonderful. Secure and wonderful. Chapter 12 uh, flows from chapter 11. And chapter 11 ended with a section about an antichrist figure who would rise up just before the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And at that time, beginning there in verse 1, we are told, and we're going to jump to the middle of verse first and come back to the start of verse 1, but it says, at that time, in that moment when that Antichrist figure is going to appear, look at the second sentence. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. So this verse describes a serious period of persecution for the people of God just before the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, now we don't know all the details, but we should be, and I hope you are, affected by the force of the description there. It will be the very worst of times. Later in verse 7, if you jump down there in the chapter... We're told that during this same period of great trouble, it will be so bad that the power, end of verse 7, of the holy people will be finally broken. I think that's referring to the people of God. And a sense of it will be so hard that God's people will feel their strength is just gone. You know, those kinds of descriptions are the kind of descriptions that make a lump form in your throat, don't they? And you feel, think, well, what would it be like to live through that? And in the kindness of God, we don't know all the details, but the summary is enough, isn't it? The summary is enough, and the Lord is saying that there is a day coming in the future when on that day, it will be the hardest of days. That period will be the most intense time. And indeed, when we face that day, God says, and indeed when we face any hard day as the Lord's people, We need to know three things and do a fourth thing. And these are the things that come up in the first four verses. We need to know that we will have preservation. We will know preservation. Now we go to the start of verse 1 and we see that at that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. So who is this 
person, Michael. Well, well Michael is referred uh, to also in Jan, Daniel chapter 10 and, 10 and verse 21, where he is there described as someone, a prince, who supports the cause of God. Michael comes up twice in the New Testament. He's mentioned once in Jude verse 9, where he's there referred to as the archangel Michael, who disputes with the devil to protect the body of Moses. And then he also comes up in Revelation 12 and verse 7, where he leads the other angels in making war against the dragon and his angels who are fighting against God. So in all those cases, we see that Michael is a great warrior for God's cause. And that's how we should see him here in verse 1. He is sent by God to protect God's people in the middle of the worst possible trial. And the outcome is that God's people, those whose name is written in the book of life, are, or in the book, are delivered. Now, I don't know about you, but when we think about the protection that God promises to give to his people, we can often think about God's protection perhaps in a detached in personal way, where, where God works by his power to protect us. But in his commentary on Daniel, Sinclair Ferguson makes the point that this reference to Michael and the many other references in Scripture to the work of angels guarding the Lord's people reminds us that, that God's protection is often through the direct activity of angelic messengers who do God's work in caring for God's people. Now, we'll be rarely aware of it in the moment. And Scripture cautions us that that will be the case. But let us not forget the words of Psalm 91, verse 11 and 12. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift up, so they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. God will guard us with great power. We will know perseverance because of God's enabling. But then secondly, we see that in the midst of that trial in the future, and indeed any trial, we need to know that we will know resurrection. That's verse 2. Look at verse 2. We read that multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Now, that verse seems somewhat out of place in the Old Testament, doesn't it? I mean, in many ways, you read that and you think, well, that would fit very clearly in the New Testament, wouldn't it? But actually, it's astonishing. This is here in the book of Daniel. This is one of the very clearest verses in the Old Testament to the promise of the resurrection of all people. And it's abundantly clear, isn't it, here, that, that though some of the Lord's people will die during this persecution and indeed in many persecutions, we do not need to fear because they are not unsafe even if that persecution brings about their death. Because God promises them what? Everlasting life. The first reference in scripture to that phrase. Everlasting life. The idea has been there right through, but here it's said, God's people know everlasting life. And it's a wonderful thing to know that believers who are trusting in Christ are secure in death. Such a death is not a final thing. And here and elsewhere in Scripture, how is it described? Sleep. Why is it sleep? Not because it's soul sleep and we're unconscious and we're not aware of what's happening. It's because it is such a transition that from, from being here 
in this world to being with the Lord that it's like going to sleep at night and waking up the next morning, consciously with the Lord, such that believers who die, though they are buried in the ground, their souls are present with the Lord, enjoying the blessings of everlasting life. And they have this certain hope that when Jesus returns, he will raise their bodies. That when Jesus returns, he will reunite, reunite their bodies with their souls. And they will enter into this future life. This future life that is full of unimaginably great and never-ending joy. Everlasting life. Now for believers, God's word warns us about trouble in this life, doesn't it? That will be our experience. And so it does not give us reasons to be optimistic about the future before Christ returns. But God's word is abundantly clear and gives us every reason to be optimistic about the future once the Lord Jesus comes back. Let us have our eyes fixed on that. But before we move out of verse 2... We notice there that it doesn't just speak of the resurrection of believers, does it? Verse 2 speaks of the resurrection of all people. It says, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. It's speaking of all those who have died. And it's saying that on that day, on that day of the general resurrection of all who have died, there will be a great division. A great division whereby some will go to everlasting life of joy with God. And others, we read in verse 2, will know shame and everlasting contempt. And the future of conscious joy for believers is in stark contrast to the future of conscious suffering and shame for those who don't know the Lord. Just look down at the language there at the end of verse 2. Others to shame and everlasting contempt. That, that word, everlasting contempt, has the idea of someone looking loathsome. And the thought here is that the everlasting judgment, which is God's just punishment for sin, is so serious and so solemn that if people looked upon those who were facing it, they would have to turn away. If you're here this evening and you are not a Christian, please do not treat this warning lightly. The world might tell you that when you die, that's it. But that's not true. And you know it's not true. Because you have an eternal soul. And one day, there will be a general resurrection of all people, and you will live forever. When God's word speaks of that great division, that's not of something that won't affect you. That is of a moment when you will be there. And there will be but two destinies. Everlasting life, everlasting shame and content. And you know what distinguishes which way? Your destiny will be, it is your response to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is your embracing of him by faith. It is your repentance in turning to trust in him. 
Have you done that this evening? Have you turned to Jesus? Are you safe for all of eternity because you're resting in him? When I was 16 years old and I became a Christian, I was living my life thinking, I will have time to sort this out in the future. I thought I could leave it, come back to it, because I knew it was true, but I wanted to park it and do some other things first. A dangerous way to live. And maybe that's how you are living. You know this is true, and you're parking it, thinking I'll come back to it in the future. Friends, you do not know the day. You do not know the hour. You must be ready. Look to Jesus Christ by faith. You will know, all will know, this general resurrection, and there are two destinies. Let us make sure we are ready for that day by trusting in Jesus. But also notice... In this comfort that's there in verse 3, as we come to verse 3, we will know transformation. Verse 3 there speaks of a, a hope of glorification that is promised to every believer. That after the resurrection, for Christians, for believers, there will be a great transformation. Because those who are wise, that is believers, we read, look at the description. They will shine like the brightness of the heavens. What a great way to describe what it would be like when the Lord returns. Not only will we be free from trouble and trials around us, we will be free from the sin and struggle within us. You know, we used to uh, get our shopping delivered by Asda to the front door. They only did it to the front door. That's as far as it got, and you had to carry it in. But, but when they delivered the shopping... Um, every now and again, you would get a free, free trial product, and it was a surprise. You didn't know it was coming, and you'd, the delivery driver would say, oh, this is a free trial for you. So alongside our 28 pints of milk each week, we would get to try something like a, a chocolate milk, and we'd all be grabbing for it because it was a free bonus trial, and we try and persuade uh, mum to order it next week. So, but this verse, well, this verse, verse 3, is a bit like an added bonus that you don't expect, isn't it? Because not only are we told... We will know preservation. God's going to keep us because his angels are going to sustain us. Not only do we know resurrection because there's that hope of eternal life, we're also going to know transformation, change on the insides. And friends, don't we need that change? Because sometimes, well, sometimes our own hearts are the cause of the biggest frustration and how hard it is to keep going. But alongside the Spirit's help here and now that God promises we are promised here that into eternity we will be free from all the sin that dwells within us as believers. That's your hope, Christian. That's your confidence, Christian. So you have all this. You have rescue. You have resurrection. You have everlasting life and you have transformation. All of which is the exclusive hope of a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a Buddhist, well, what do you believe in? Well, you believe in reincarnation, which means that you keep on coming back to a sinned, sin-filled world as a sinner. And that's only if you've done well, because you get to come back as a person rather than something less than a person. You have no certainty about change inside of you. Any change that happens comes about because you've done it. And you only come back to a sinful, broken world. Is that hope? If you're a Muslim... Well, well, you believe in paradise, of something beyond death, but, but no Muslim can be sure they're going there because they're never sure they have tipped the scales enough in their favor to get in. 
So there's no certainty of resurrection to everlasting life. Only a possibility, if you've been good enough. If you're a Catholic, you might believe a lot of what we said tonight, but the Roman Catholic Church's false teaching on purgatory means that even believers, they say, will need to go through, and they wrongly say this, a painful process of purification before they enter heaven. And so alongside no certainty of entering heaven, because there's no reliance on Christ alone for salvation, there's also no certainty about how long purgatory will last. Is that hope? For the atheist... Well, they don't believe in eternal life in heaven, do they? And that means there's no hope. Now, that might be fine for a time when you're healthy, wealthy, and happy. But what about the billions who are starving in poverty around the world? What hope is there for them? What about the person dying of stomach cancer in hospital? What hope for them? What about the person with chronic depression? What hope is there for them? There's nothing for them apart from, in atheism, apart from the wicked offer of voluntary euthanasia that brings an end to your existence. That's the poverty of atheism. But here, friends, is the believer's hope. Here, friends, is is our joy. Here, friends, is our confidence that however hard it might be here and now, and it can be very hard, in our own country, in different ways, in Ukraine in other ways, and in other places around the world in other ways. And however hard it might get in the short-term future, the long-term future is certain and wonderful. And that's why verse 4 is key. Because in verse 4, Daniel is told to seal up these words in a scroll. That's all that he's been taught through the book of Daniel, and he's recorded for us for our benefit until the time of the end. Now, what does that mean? Well, that doesn't mean Daniel is going to hide it all. (laughs) Seal it all up, hide it all, and tell no one. That's not what it's saying. This word seal it up means keep it safe, protect it so that others can have it and benefit from it. For the help of the people of God in days to come, so that those who read these words, verse 4, will be blessed by them and will increase their knowledge. So God has given you these words, verses 1 to 4, and indeed all of the words of Scripture to help you to endure to the end, to persevere. And that, friends, is why it is so important that we are hearing God's word personally as we read it each day and publicly as it is read and preached as much as we can so that we are filling our souls with the precious teaching of this book. Because we need it more than we need our daily food. You know, one of my personal struggles is around getting hangry. And my patience, my attention seem to fall off a cliff when I need to eat. But you and I need the words of Scripture more than we need food each day. Is that how you see God's word this evening as a believer? And the reason you and I need it is because it tells us how the story will end. And knowing how the story is going to end is the key to endurance. You know, on Tuesday, 
the English cricket team secured a memorable victory on the fifth day in the second test match against New Zealand and won the series. And the 20 or so thousand fans who watched the fifth day of that match at Trent Bridge must have gone through something of a nail-biting experience. England were trying to trace down 299 runs, and at one point in the afternoon, they were 93 for four, which, if you don't know what that means, that's not good. That's not good. And then, Johnny Bairstow, that great Yorkshire batsman, got going, and everything changed. Now, if, like me, you experienced that game in the highlights later in the week, it was a completely different experience. There was no nail-biting, because we knew how it was going to end. There was no uncertainty, because we knew we'd won. We'd already celebrated, and done so with great joy. But when you know the outcome, you're not living through it all with uncertainty, are you? It might be hard. It can be very hard. But in all the hardship of life here and now, and please don't think I'm making light of that. I know it's hard. And through all the real pain of living in a fallen world, knowing how the story ends is the key to endurance. Brothers and sisters, have that clear in your minds. But now let's turn, and we need to go quickly to our second point, because we see however hard things get, be clear about what is certain. Now, we've done four verses. I don't know, we have eight, nine to go, so we're going to move fast. So 5 to 12, verses 5 to 12, Daniel is saying here, however hard things get, be clear about what is certain. So as we come to verse 5, Daniel sees two Men And one of the men asks another man who is clothed in linen, how long will it be until these astonishing things are accomplished? Now, what are the things he's referring to? Well, I think the most natural way to understand the question as to what the things are is to say that they are all the things that God reveals to his people through the book of Daniel throughout. So we're talking here about everything from the end of Daniel's book right through until the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, because that's what the book is covering through visions all the way through. That is what he is asking about. When's it going to happen? How long is it going to be until we come to the end? And it's a great question, isn't it? It's a question that every believer has asked through their life at different times, and maybe you have at many times. Perhaps because our longing for heaven is great, and perhaps because The struggles and trials of this world are many. But God does not answer that question here in these verses. He does not tell Daniel how long it will be. And sometimes the Lord answers our questions very directly, and at other times in his wisdom, he tells us what we need to know without telling us everything that we want to know, and we have to be content with that. God is God. He reveals what we need to know. And what God does tell us is significant and important. So let's just talk a little bit about timings because there are references to timings in these verses. So if you look down at verse 7, in in response to this question, how long will it be, um, the the man clothed in linen stands and makes this solemn uh, vow and pledge that it will take a time, times, and half a time. 
Now, that's a phrase that we've come across before in the book of Daniel, back in chapter 7. And it spoke of a time that was extended, but under God's control. We get another reference to times there in verse 11 and 12. And there are many uncertainties about the meanings of the numbers in those verses. I've read a lot about them this week, and I'm not absolutely certain about the significance of the numbers there. Uh, Why is it 1,290? Why is it 1,335? Where does it start? It it could be that the the timing there of this 1,290 days seems to be perhaps the cross of the Lord Jesus. Maybe that's the end of the sacrifice. Or, um, Or perhaps it's AD 70 when the temple destroyed. What we do know is that the end of that time, this end of 290 uh, days, is probably this this period of intense persecution under this final Antichrist, and that's a reference to the abomination that causes desolation. So there's lots of uncertainties, and we could talk about them for a while. But what we do know is that the numbers in this apocalyptic section of Daniel are normally symbolic rather than literal. So what is being communicated symbolically here is that any period of suffering for the people of God is limited, that it's numbered, that it's within God's control. But rather than focus on what we don't know, let's be clear about what we do. And as we come to verses 9 to 12, there are lots of things that are clear. Because the Lord teaches us, as we focus on these things that are clear, that first of all, the end will come. Look down at verse 9, he says... Uh, He replied, go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed up until the time of the end. So there will be a time of the end. Now, what does that teach us? It teaches us that the Bible wants us to know that history is moving forward to a final climactic moment within God's timing and God's control. So we do not believe that history will just go in cycles and cycles going on and on and on and on. Nor do we believe that humanity will live as long as they're able to make things work on planet Earth or indeed live on another planet, according to Elon Musk. That's what he believes and teaches, isn't it? That we could extend life in that way. We don't believe that it's down to us. We believe that God is in control. The idea that human beings could themselves bring an end to human history and cause our own mass extinction is not a biblical one. And so we mustn't buy into it. It's a godless idea grounded upon an atheistic worldview where we control our own destiny, and we don't. We steward God's earth in the confidence that God is in control, knowing that there will be a time of the end, and it will come when God intends. We also know that the end will come, and God will prepare his people for the end. Verse 10 repeats this phrase that we also heard at the end of chapter 11, where we saw that through suffering, God was refining his people so that one of his purposes in allowing his people to face trials in this life is to prepare them for what is to come, to purify us, to make us holy, in his wisdom to sanctify us. So God will prepare his people for the end through the trials It also teaches us that wickedness will be with us until the end. Look down again at verse 10, where we read, the wicked will continue to be wicked. So we rightly seek to restrain evil 
We don't help evil, we don't encourage evil, and we don't stand by and do nothing about evil. But we recognize that in this world here and now, until the Lord comes, we cannot fully remove evil. Because God will do that on the final day, and that's our confidence. And then we notice also, verse, um, there in verse 10, that the wise will understand in the end. So, as we have worked through the visions of the last part, the, the second part of the book of Daniel, there have been some times when we've said, we're just not sure how all this is going to be fulfilled. But what we're told there is that there will be a day in the future when we will understand. The wicked will not understand what is happening, but the wise will understand what is happening. And the wise will be able to connect the dots between what they have read in God's word and internalized in their hearts, and then they've done that through less challenging times. They've hidden God's word in their hearts. It's increased their knowledge in preparation for harder days. And in those harder days, they will understand. So that's another reminder, isn't it, friends, to internalize God's truth, to know God's word so that we're ready. We'll understand in the end. What a great promise. And then look also, and we're here we're going to touch on those numbers in verses 11 and 12 again, that there is great blessing in enduring to the end. If the duration of the trials and suffering are 1,290 days, then we see, verse 12, that the one who waits, endures, and reaches the end of 1,335 days will be blessed. Now, 1,335 days is more than 1,290 days. We know that, don't we? And I think one of the things that is being taught to us here is that as we endure keeping trusting the Lord beyond that period of intense suffering and difficulty, there is great blessing. As we endure, there is great blessing. And what blessing there is, resurrection hope, everlasting life, transformation so that we shine like the stars. So brothers and sisters, however hard it might get, let us fill our minds with the truth of these verses so that we might strengthen our souls with God's help. But having filled our minds with these truths about things that are going to happen in the future and how to keep going, what's our focus for today? That's where we're going to end as we come to verse 13. Our third and final point, and briefly we see, go your way to the end. Look down at verse, actually it first comes up in verse 9, then it comes up in verse 13. He replied, speaking to Daniel, go your way, Daniel. And then verse 13, the same thing is said, just slightly more. As for you, go your way till the end. What's God saying there? Well, in those short words of instruction, the Lord is telling Daniel that his duty each day is to keep on serving God in the place where the Lord has put him. Fulfilling the duties that God has given him to do. Offering his whole life in worship to God alone and not anyone or anything else until the Lord comes back and takes him home. What does that mean for Daniel? Well, it means Daniel needs to go back to his administrator's desk. Daniel needs to get on with the tasks that he has for that day. 
Daniel needs to do, as Elizabeth Elliot says, the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing. And to do it with integrity and honesty, doing as much good as he can to as many people as he can in the days that God has given him. That's what going your way means. And what does it mean for us? Well, it means similarly that it is to do what God calls us to do this week and to go our way to the end, to walk that way, to do that work and to do it, recognizing that is what God has given us to do as we serve him. So whether you're a homemaker, whether you're retired from employment, whether you're a student, whether you're working as a nurse, a builder, or a computer coder, whatever God has called you to do, we are to do it for the Lord. We are to do it looking to Christ by faith. And we are to do it having our eyes fixed upon all the precious promises that are ours for the future, which are summarized for us so wonderfully there in verse 13. Look at what the Lord promises. And notice they are all things that will be done for us and given to us. It's all about what God does. Look at it, verse 13. In death, what we do will rest because we'll be kept safe with the Lord. At the end of the days, what will happen? We will rise because Jesus will return and we will know resurrection to everlasting life. And then what will happen? We'll receive our allotted inheritance the glories of life with God in heaven. Friends, that's truth to live by, isn't it? That's truth to live each day by, and that's truth to go to bed each night with peace and comfort. So go your way, serve God until the end, and never forget how good that end will be. Shall we pray before we sing? Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, how we thank you for the gift of your word. Lord, where would we be left to ourselves without your truth and your spirit to sustain us and keep us? Lord, we thank you that perseverance is your work in us. And we pray, Lord God, That as we go through all the trials and struggles of this life, as brothers and sisters around our world, in Ukraine, in North Korea, in Afghanistan, in many other countries, endure hardship and suffering, may our eyes be fixed upon you as our God who who preserves us, who promises resurrection, who promises transformation. Thank you for all the things that are sure and certain for us as believers. Help us to trust you for all the things that we don't know. Help us to trust you in all the uncertainties of our day-to-day lives. And help us to do that having our eyes fixed on what is sure, on what is certain, and on what is everlasting and eternally good. So seal your word to our hearts, we pray. Thank you for Jesus. We treasure him. We worship him. We praise you for him. And enable us to go our way, to live for him this week, that you might receive the praise and glory as we do these things in worship of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.